welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, as we continue our study through the gospel of Matthew in the series I've entitled The Savior King and His Kingdom. There are some things about God that are mysterious, right? There are some things about God that we don't know, and the Bible doesn't tell us, <clears throat> and it's just mysterious. For example, what does God look like? What does he look like? Well, the Apostle, Apostle John <clears throat> tells us twice in John 1.18 and 1 John 4.12, no one has seen God at any time. So we don't know what he looks like. And one of the commandments was not to make an image of God because no one knows what he looks like. So any image that we would try to make of him would be wrong, right? Well, many of you know, Kelly and I have been together for a long time. About a third of that time, I was unsaved. And she would regularly try to get me to see God. You know, she'd point at something, look, that was God. You know, that's God working over there. My usual response was skepticism, at the very least was skepticism. There are sometimes it was not, not that kind, if you can believe that, of me. I didn't believe in God. You know, I, I didn't believe there was such a thing as God. I had, no, I had no belief, I didn't really believe in the supernatural at that point in my life. I believed everything could be explained using natural things. Everything, there was a natural explanation to everything was what I thought. It was interesting, you know, as, as I was thinking about this, the, the just moments ago, you know, I was thinking it, it wasn't like I was colorblind, like I just couldn't see, it was there, but I, I couldn't really, you know, define it. I was literally blind to it. I, I had no vision of it whatsoever, and I only know that because I'm not blind anymore. And because I'm not blind anymore, I can see it. Now, oh, wow, all those things she was pointing at and I was making fun of her, uh, you know, they were real. I have long since repented of that, so she knows that we're okay, right? We're okay? Okay, thank you. No one has seen God. But in the sixth beatitude, we are told that there is a way to see him. And so, okay, wait a minute. If no one's ever seen him, but we can see him, what does all that mean? Well, we're gonna actually talk about that today. <clears throat> this beatitude gives us a key to seeing God as God has permitted and, and enabled us to see him. So let's pray. We'll ask the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see God. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do come thanking you for your presence here today, thanking you for your grace, your mercy, your love, and we do pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see. And Lord, I also want to take this opportunity to lift up Andy, uh, one of our elders, uh, a friend, good friend of the church, Lord, and uh, he's not doing well right now. He's not feeling well, and, and Lord, um, we're just praying, Lord God, for your healing touch upon him. And Lord, for all of those in the body that are struggling and having difficult times, and we know there's lots of them. I could spend the rest of the service naming them and talking about them, but we You've got us doing other things here. So we just ask, Lord, for your special grace and mercy on them all. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been taking our time going through the Beatitudes. After coming to Christ, 
the, the, the Beatitudes are about Christians. They're about someone who has come to Christ. It's not how to become a Christian. It's what a Christian is after they have come to Christ. So these are character traits that, that ought to be developing within the life of a believer. Now, now the reality is, is that, that, that we may not all be doing them perfectly. And so what these Beatitudes are, there are eight characteristics of what a Christian is. Now, none of them stands apart from the rest. They're all connected. Just as an example of that, for me to be a Christian husband, certain things need to be true, right? First, I need to be a man, right? I can't be a husband if I'm not a man. Well, to be a Christian husband, I also need to be an adult man, right? And we kind of in our culture, we believe that only adults should get married. I don't know if that's going to change, but let's pray that it doesn't. And, and to be a Christian husband, I also need to be a Christian, right? Does that make sense? So to be a Christian husband, I need to be a man, an adult man, a Christian man, I need to be married to a woman, right? All of those things need to be true if I'm going to be a Christian husband. If you take any one of those away, I can't be a Christian husband. The same thing is true about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are what we are. They, are, they describe what the character traits of a believer. Now, now, now if, I were, if we were to ask Kelly to say yes or no, we're not going to do that because it might embarrass me. You know, how perfectly I am, rate me on one to ten, how perfectly I am doing as a Christian husband, I would get something less than a ten. I promise you that. Um, and same thing is true of us as, as Christians. We're not doing any of these things perfectly. But we should be doing better. We ought to know what these things are and grow in our understanding of them and grow in our exercise of them because that's just what we do. Same thing is true. If I'm going to be the Christian husband that God's calling me to be, I need to work at it. I need to get better at it. And that comes from me knowing what those things are and then working on them. So before we get into the sixth beatitude, uh, we're going to review the first ones because it's been a, it's been a little while. So let's you know kind of rapid fire review the first one. So start in verse three. It says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." And we talked about this earlier. Blessed, while it has the definition and meaning of happy, it also has the understanding and and um, and application of approved by God. And so the reality is, is if you want to be happy, you need to live a life that God approves of. And if you're not, if, as a believer, if you're not living a life that God approves of, then, then you should not expect to be happy. You might stumble upon some level of happiness, but if you want to really want to be happy, you got to find, you got to do it the way God says. You got to live that life. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Actually, I, I skipped poor in spirit. That's kind of key to the verse three. Sorry. It's poor in spirit. It talks about the reality that if we, if we are honest, if we are honest with God, that we have nothing to offer. We have, there's no reason why God should accept us. There's not, no reason in us that we have nothing to, to earn his approval. We have no reason for, to, that, no way that we can influence him on our behalf. Everything that we get from God is because of God, not because of us. And we have to, we have to believe that. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We mourn because we know that the only thing we can bring to God is our sin. It's the only thing we have. The only thing we can bring. And thankfully, when we do bring it, he deals with it. Praise God. You know, those who mourn for their sin, they're mourning because they know that their sin offends God. And because of what God has done for us, that bothers us. And it should bother us. Our sin should cause us to mourn. And not just ours, also for the sin of the world around us as well. As we know that without God's intervention, we would be lost forever. Verse 5, the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those that, that, that view themselves and they compare themselves with God. And when they see that comparison, they recognize, uh, yeah, I'm 
pretty small compared to him. God is huge. I am small. He is great. I am not. not. In fact, uh, the, the book Humility by Andrew Murray says that, that, that what God is looking for in this meekness is an absolute and utter nothingness in our heart. That we see we are nothing compared to God, which should fill us with wonder and awe. We are nothing, and yet God has done so much for us. He sent his son for us. Radical stuff. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be <clears throat> filled. This idea of hungering and thirst and righteousness is this, is this passionate desire to be more like Christ. That as we look upon these things, we recognize that we, that we, we are what we are, and we acknowledge that, and we're, we're, we're humble and we're meek, and we, and, we, and we are utterly dependent upon God for everything. And because of all that, we want to be more like Jesus. It's kind, of a, it kind of, it's kind of that motivation that drives us into a deeper relationship with God. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. As we grow in the other Beatitudes, we have a deeper understanding of the mercy that God has shown us. That God, is, God has been very merciful to us, not given us what we deserve. And because of that, and because we recognize that the mercy he gave was undeserved on our part, that we should respond by being more merciful to those around us, especially those who don't deserve it. That brings us to the sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To Jesus' original audience, the word pure had two basic understandings, and they, and they both apply to us as well. The, the, the two first of those is the idea of being ritually clean or innocent. For the Jews, that involved the ritual sacrifices. We know that the Jewish religious system was very elaborate, rituals and different things, but not just the rituals, there was also attached to the rituals a, a ritual washing that took place. There was a, a, a washing with water and then the, then the rituals of the sacrifice and they were all connected to one another. And every time they wanted to approach God, these rituals had to be done. You know, if you want to go to God, you've got to bring an animal. And before you bring that animal, you better wash yourself. And then before they offer the animal, they're going to wash that animal. And so there's this whole ritualistic process that went on to approach God. Now, we as Christians, we don't need rituals to approach God, right? You don't need a ritual. You know, we come to church for another reason. It's not a ritual. If it's a ritual for you, we need to pray for you because that's not what it's about. It's not about showing up and checking it off on your list. There's a reason for it. I'm going to talk about it. Hopefully I get to it at the end of the, end of the message. But the, but the rituals are, are not required for Christians. Why? Because Jesus did all the work for us on the cross. There's nothing left for us to do except to worship him, to obey him. And we do it, we don't have to do the rituals. If you develop rituals in your life, that's okay. You can have rituals. Like I have a ritual. I read my Bible every morning. That's one of the very first things that I do right after making coffee. I, I sit down and I have a cup of coffee and I read my Bible. That's a ritual. But we have to be careful with rituals. You know why? Because a ritual gets in the way of faith. If you, if you can't do the ritual, if you can do the ritual without thinking about God, Without leaning on God and trusting in God and hoping in God and seeing God, that's a problem. That's a problem. We don't need rituals. Jesus did everything. All we have to do is come. We come. Boldly, Hebrews tells us. We approach God based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, it is finished, did it mean it is finished except the rituals you have to do so that, you know, so that you can be? No. It is finished. You are done. Now, faith and obedience calls us to certain acts and behaviors, but we don't need them to approach God. We just go. 
Another sense, the first sense of this, of this idea of, of pure is being basically ritually right with God, being right with God. The second sense of the word pure is unmixed or undivided. Now that makes sense. We see that. You know, pure gold. What does it mean? What's in it? Gold. What else? Nothing. You know, that's what purity is. You know, we, we got our bottles of water. Let me see if it says it on there somewhere. Does it say pure water? Purified water. What does that mean? What's in it? Water. I'm sure there's probably something else in there too, but it's too small. I can't read it. I'm sure there's chemicals and whatever else in there. But the idea is that, you know, we said we have that idea of pure, meaning that there's nothing else in it, that it, that it is one thing. And so there's a spiritual element, a spiritual aspect of that that is, is true in this as well. Is that, and, that, and the idea can be found primarily, we see it first in um, the, the first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. How many gods are there? One. Yeah, raise your finger. One. Say it. Say it like you believe it. There's one God. There's only one. So if we're worshiping any God other than the God, is our worship pure? The answer is no, it's not. It's impure, defiled, it's wrong. God expects, not desires, expects undivided devotion to him. Why? Because there is only one God. If you're worshiping something other than God, you're worshiping something that isn't real, that can't help you. I, I love some of, the, some of the prophets in the Old Testament where they talk about, you know, you're worshiping things that can't see, can't hear, can't talk, can't help you. You take a piece of wood, you, cook, you, you use part of it to cook your food, you use part of it to warm you, and then with the rest of it, you build a God. They're thinking like, uh, that's kind of dumb. <laughs> but for us, we wouldn't do that. Yeah. None of us, have, have, I hope, have little idols sitting around in our house, little figures that we, you know, <laughs> you know do whatever with. We don't do that, right? If you do, you see Randy right after the service because you need help. You know, it, it's, it's, it's divided. You know, if you, go, if you go to other parts of the world, You'll see these things. You'll see these little idols. And, and very often you'll see these, these religions mixing and merging and, and, and it's, it's all false anyway. So I guess if you mix two false things together, they're no more false than any one of them separately. But if you mix them with Christ, with Christianity, with, with, with the one true faith, you're, you're taking something that it's pure and then adding something that's impure to it. What does that do to the pure thing? It makes it impure. Jesus spoke about this as well in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You have to make a choice. It's either God and nothing else, or you might as well just go with nothing else because you can't do both. It's not right. So in summary, the message, no, it's not over. We got lots of time left. In su- I should never put in summary in here because somebody's thinking about zipping up their Bible right now. Stop it. <laughs> That's the, if you want to really tweak your pastor, zip up your Bible before he says Amen. Okay, I don't want to hear your zippers, okay? <laughs> Sorry, that was a woo. To be pure means to be in a right relationship with God and to have an undivided heart. That God is everything to you. Jesus says here in our, in our beatitude that that purity needs to be in our heart. Now, he's not talking about that muscle in the chest. Anytime you see it in, in this kind of a context, it's never talking about, you know, the organ of the heart. 
It's always talking about something else. R. Kent Hughes said this. In the Bible, heart means more than just the mind. It also includes the emotions and the will. It is a totality of our ability to think, feel, and decide. God is calling us to a radical purity in the way that we think, feel, and act. That, it, that whatever we think, whatever we feel, whatever we do is pure. Now, this is, this is that one feeling. That's where people really get themselves in trouble. Because sometimes we think, well, my feelings are right. If I feel it, it must be right. Really? Based on what? Beatitude is focusing on what's inside of us. Jeremiah says that this is a real problem for us as humans. In Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things. What? You mean I can't trust my heart? And desperately wicked, who can know it? Thankfully, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Notice there in verse 10, all three of those things, thinking, feeling, and doing. Jesus, God knows them all. He knows what you're thinking, he knows what you're feeling, he knows what you're doing, and he's checking them out. And what's he, what's he comparing them with? Himself. Saying, how well should we be doing all those things? As well as God does. Anybody got that nailed? I'm keeping my hand down on purpose. No, we don't. This beatitude focuses on that internal part of us that does manifest because whatever's on the inside is gonna come out of you. What's in comes out. This was not a new concept. This, you see this all through the Bible. I think somebody mentioned Psalm 24. I'm going to quote you know, out of it here too. The Jews are familiar with the need for the purity of heart. In Psalm, Psalm 24, they, they talk about approaching God with a pure heart. If you're going to go to God, make sure your heart is pure. Even though they often fell into ritualistic practices where they were doing the ritual without the heart, they were just doing those things. You know, the, you know God says, they approach me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. The idea is that, okay, yeah, you're, you're doing the rituals, but your heart is not in it. Your, your heart is not pure in it. Ezekiel saw a future that included God giving us a heart that was able to be pure. You know, before you came to Christ, that was not possible. You could not have a pure heart. You could not have an undivided heart. It was not possible. But because of Christ, we have a, a new heart. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Somebody say hallelujah. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders, the Pharisees, because of the, their hypocrisy in this matter. The Pharisees were concerned about the outside, the rituals, that people, you know, you know, that people could see the rituals they were doing. And somehow that indicated that they were righteous, they were holy, they were good with God. And Jesus said, uh, no, you may be clean on the outside, but you are filthy on the inside. You know, the outside is all whitewashed and pretty, but he's, at one point he says, but the inside is filled with dead men's bones. It's nasty, it's defiled, it's wrong. God cares about what's inside of us. He cares about what we're feeling and thinking and doing. And it's not just about the doing. If you focus on the doing, you're missing two-thirds of it. Jesus is calling us to perfection. Perfection. We sometimes like to justify, well, no, no, not, no not that, not really perfection. No, Jesus said, be perfect like God. And, and, and if you don't believe me, read Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, Jesus said. Is that even possible? Well, the resounding answer is no. It's not possible. Not in you. You have nothing in you that can help you to do that. No possible way for you to do it. And that should drive us to utter desperation. God, you are calling me to perfection, but I 
can't do it. I have nothing in me that even gives me any chance to do it. Without you, God, I can't do it. You know, one of, my, one of those verses, it just, it, just, it just pops out at me every time I see it, where, where Moses, they're talking about going to the promised land, and, 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 and you know, God says, you guys, you guys just go. And, and, and Moses says, oh, no, 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 if you don't go, we're not going. You know, the idea that I need God to bring me into whatever life that it is that he's calling me to. Without him, I can't do it. And the moment we start believing, oh, I can, I can do that. I can handle that. God says, go ahead. And he'll wait back here and see how you do. He's always ready to come pick you up. But he'll let you do it if you think you can. We must ask God to work in us what is impossible for us. When we come up to that impossible stuff, we must ask God to work in us what is impossible for us. R. Kent Hughes said, God demands a humanly impossible character and then gives us that character by his grace. I love that. And, and that's and the reason why God does it is he wants us utterly dependent upon him because the reality is you are utterly dependent upon him. But we have to acknowledge that. We have to believe that. We have to respond to that truth. And if we allow God, the Holy Spirit, to do the work of purifying in our hearts, we are promised, according to this beatitude, to see God. To see God. Now, this has both a present and future meaning. Meaning. Who will, I make sure who will. What believers will see God? All of them. At some point, we will stand before God and we will see him, whatever that means. I don't know exactly what that means. There's a lot of things, and it's one of those mysterious things. There's a lot of mysterious things about God in heaven. You know, I, you know it's, like, it's like we get this like little tiny trailer to an enormous movie and I, I want to go see that. You know, I don't know what it is, but I want to go see it. I don't understand what the whole thing is, but I want to see it. I haven't seen a good trailer in a long time, but that's a whole other conversation. All believers will see God. Now, there's a present, present reality to this as well in the form of discernment. Now, now, now don't get the idea that somehow you're, God's going to show up in your bedroom while you're praying and, oh, you're so holy. Lionel, you're so holy. He might be, but he's not going to see God in that way. Because of God, the purifying work that God does through the Holy Spirit, we will see God and we'll see him in his word. That's one of the, one of the clearest places we can see God is in his word. We'll, we'll see him more clearly as our lives start to conform with what the Word of God says. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, but we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. By faith, we see God in His Word. By faith, we see God in nature. In his creation, he made all these things. We've been watching some animal shows, the discovery kind of shows. There's, God has done some amazing and weird things in his creation. I mean, I look at some of these things and why would you do that, God? But it's very cool. So, you know, you're like, okay, God, you're amazing. We see him in the circumstances of our lives. And that is so important that we learn to see God everywhere we go. And we do it with pure hearts. As the purer our hearts become, the easier it is to see God in every circumstance, the good ones and the bad ones, the easy ones and the hard ones, the fun ones and the miserable ones. He's there in all of them because where is God? Everywhere. Not is he everywhere, he is in us. So, he's there. 
He's there working, and with, in, as we, our hearts become more and more pure, we see him more and more clearly in those things. And, and the reality is, and when you get into those situations, I don't see God in this. Okay, what should you do? Purify your heart. Seek him. Seeing God is a function of the purity of our heart. And what that means for us is, is we need to be you know, right with God. That's, that's kind of one of the foundational parts of it. So if there's sin in our lives, we need to deal with that. We need to repent of that sin, turn away from it, you know, you know, get whatever help we need to do that. But also the idea of our hearts being less and less divided and distracted. There are so many things in this world distracting our hearts. So many. And they're not all bad. They're not all bad things. But the more distracted we are, the harder it is to see God. The more of God's word that is brought into our heart, the easier it is to see God. God is everywhere working, everywhere. He never stops working. And so if he is, then people of faith ought to be able to see that. Even those things that don't make any sense to us. So we ought to live our lives in a way, have a growing desire to see God. So I'm going to share a few things on how we might improve our vision. Anybody up for that? You know, how to, get, how to have better God vision here. Let's start with the first one. Be honest with God about the condition of your heart. Is your heart pure? Now, now, anybody who's going to be honest with God is going to say, well, it's not bad, maybe. But it could probably be better. Is there some reason, is there something that make, is making your heart impure? Is there sin? Are there wrong thoughts? Are there, are, are, have you allowed something in you that is just making your heart impure? Need to repent of that. Need to get right with God about that. And then, ask yourself, is seeing God my highest desire? Do I want to see God more than anything else? Because if we're believers in Jesus Christ, where should that be on our, on our list? Should I want to know God and see him right now? Yeah, shouldn't we? That should be our highest desire. But let's be honest. Other things kind of creep up the list, don't they? Matter of fact, sometimes things get at the top of the list that aren't that. You know, we ought to be at a place where we start to, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to Rick here too. Rick has the same problems that you do. Not the same, probably. Some of you have different problems. Some of you are really messed up. But that's another conversation. But the, the reality is, is that we have these things and sometimes things get up to, they, they just creep up there or they pop up there. You know, they, you know, all of a sudden this, you know, this big thing appears in our life and we forget that God is in it. And that's what God would call us to do. Whatever it is in your life that you would see it through the lens of God, his word, his spirit, his plan, that you see everything in your life through that. And God, I know you're in this. Help me to see it. Help me to see you in whatever this thing is, whether it's good or bad. So we, we ought to be checking ourselves. And that, that's what this, this to me, is a, is, a, is a call to examine your heart. Do I want to see God? Do I want to see him? Do I want to see, do I want to look up into the face of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Do I want to see him? And as, as believers, that ought to be a growing desire in us. That as we go through this life, that desire is growing. More than anything else, that desire is growing. Because out of it, out of that desire comes everything else. I serve God because I want to see God. I 
pray because I want to see and hear from God. I read the word so that I can see God in his word and I can see my life compared to him in his word. I want to see God in the way that I interact with God's people. I love getting together with God's people. You want to see God, go hang around God's people because that's where you're, well, people that love God anyways. Some of God's people are weird. But we want to, we want to hang around those people that are seeking God because through them, we're going to see little glimpses, little pieces, little, little realities about God. We're going we're gonna to see him in, when, when somebody expresses care to us, that's God. We're going to see it when somebody shares, you know, that, you know, their needs to us. Okay, that's, that's God bringing their need to us. There are all these ways that we see God. First, you got to be honest with God. Where is your heart? Is it Right? If it's not, James says something to us. If your heart is less than perfect, and, and I think that includes most of us here probably, okay, no, all of us, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If your heart's not right, where do you go? I go to God. Because he's the only one that can do anything about it. I go to God. Then cleanse your hands, you sinners. Okay, that's another thing I've got to remind myself. You know what? I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I make bad choices. I have, wrong, I have impure thoughts. I have wrong thoughts. All these things are true about me, and I need, to, I need to do that business with God and so that I can be purified, so that I can be cleansed. And then purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is not, he's not being harsh here. He's telling us this is the formula. You want to get your heart right with God? You got to go to God. And you got to deal with whatever sin's in there. And then you got to figure out what it is that's dividing your mind. What is it? What else is in your mind that is taking God's place? That is, is maybe, you know, creeping up that list. Maybe it's not higher than God, but it's got too big of a part in your life. Listen, we can, we can I mean, we can have all these things in our minds, but God has got to be the reason for them. He's got to be why we care about those things. I care about whatever it is I care about because God cares about it or God's trying to use it or whatever. God, if God's in that equation, then there's nothing okay. But if, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to, you know, I want to pick on Larry again because I just can. Um, you know, I want to be the best guitar player because I just want to be the best guitar player. Okay, that's not a, that's not, that's not a pure motivation, I want to be a good guitar player so that people can enter into the very presence of God in worship. I want people to see God in worship. You know, that's a good motivation. That's a reason to spend hours working on it and, and, and becoming better at it. But if it's just, I, you know, I just want to be able to wow people when I stand up there and do a whatever it's all magic to me. I have no idea what they're doing up here. Okay, first thing, be honest with God about what's in your heart. Second thing, acknowledge that only God can make your heart pure. You know, we, we, we as humans, you know, we, we love the lists of things. You know, three ways to have better skin. Three ways to play the guitar better, you know, blah, blah, blah. We make up these lists and we say, you know, okay, if I just do these things, I'm going to be whatever. And we do the same thing with Christianity. Okay, okay, pastor says I need to read my Bible, I need to pray, I need to show up at church once in a while, you know, maybe give, you know, occasionally. Okay, if I do all those things, I'm, I'm pure. Uh, no, none of those things make you pure. They come out of purity. They come out of a heart that's right before God. You can do them, you know, if you're still working on it, go ahead and do them anyways. But we need to understand, God, only God can make your heart pure. And so when we realize, you know what, something's not right in my heart, we go to God and we say, God, beg God to purify your heart. Beg him to make your heart right because he's the only one that can. Third, fill your heart with God's word. Heart is mind, emotions, and will. I have to fill my heart 
with the word of God. The word of God has got to kind of control my thoughts. It's got it's to it's evaluate my emotions and it has to drive my will. If, if I'm doing that and, and, and understand something, you know, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. As, as, you, put the whole, as you put the word of God in, the Holy Spirit activates it, enlivens it, and brings it out. And so the only way the Holy Spirit can do that only way, only, holy, only way the Holy Spirit will do that is if you're putting it in. He's not gonna force you. God won't force you to do what's right. He won't force you to purify your heart. He won't force you to do any of these things. God invites us into this intimate communion, fellowship, relationship with him, and the way that we understand it, the way we see him in all the things that we talk about is primarily through his word. If you don't make God's word a part of your, your, your life, pouring it in, you're gonna have a hard time getting to a place of purity of heart. It's hard. God, God uses his word. John 15, three says this. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Those that have God's word, they have, they're already clean. Now they just need to be purified. And that happens through the cleansing effect of the Holy Spirit working in a heart that is pure. Fourth, think about heaven. Think about heaven. Someday you will see Jesus face to face. Some, thank you, thank you. I'm kind of excited about seeing Jesus, all right? You know, someday we're going to see Jesus. That's a good, come on, church, that's a good thing. <laughs> I may not want to go right this minute, but, I, you know, I'm going to go someday, and I'm excited about that. And, and, and the thing is that, that Jesus wants to see us. Can you imagine that? Savior of the world, eternal, God in all ways is just excited that you're going to be there someday. Shouldn't we be excited about that too? I'd be like, oh, come on. Come on, church. That I feel is like with a, that, that hope that we have that, that, that we know. Okay, I know. I, you know yeah, are you going to heaven? Yep. Not today, I hope. Yeah, whatever God wants. But, you know, I got other plans for this afternoon. You know, my plans, you know, God. <laughs> no, God, God knows my heart, okay? But it ought to, it ought to fill us with wonder. You know, I, you know, I, you know I, I minister to people, and again, we, you know, we're, we're in a church, and, and you know, people get sick. People, you know, get really sick sometimes, and, you know, the fear of any sickness is what? Death. Right? I mean, I mean, any serious illness. If you've got a cold, okay, you're typically not worried about dying. But, you know, other things that, that you know, that we, we have a, a natural fear of that. But where does that come from? The natural man. The spiritual man knows that someday, we're all going to get there someday. And God has already made an appointment for us. And as we grow in our faith, in that idea of purity of heart, we become, we become, we start to equate death with seeing Jesus. And we start to have this realization that, hey, 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 okay, I'm not so keen on this whole dying part, but I love the idea of seeing Jesus. I'm living my life so that I can see him, not only today, but there too. I don't, 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says this, Beloved, now we are children of God. We are children of God. If you're a child of God, raise your hand. Come on. Thank you. Good church. Most of you are children of God. The rest need, we need, we'll be praying for you in a little bit. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him does what? Purifies himself. We play a role in pure, our own purification, and that is doing these things we've been talking about, allowing God to do that work. 
I don't know. I don't know about you, but the idea of seeing Jesus, I, 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 if it, it becomes more important, important to me every single day. It becomes the, the foundation of much of what I do and why I do what I do. And I, and I hope you have that same hope. David is going to come up here in a moment. You can actually come on up um, and lead us in a song. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to stay. I know some of you want to dash out of here for whatever reason. One of the ways that we can test our hearts and to see, is my heart pure? Is during times like this, when we come to worship, I believe worship is is an invitation to enter into the presence of God I believe the teaching of the word is, is similar, but worship is, is unique in the way that it is. Because often our thoughts and our attitudes about worship, I believe, are wrong. You know, we, we want worship to be a certain way or certain songs or certain instruments or certain this or certain that. Worship is about lifting our hearts and minds and will and eyes to God. It shouldn't matter what the music is. It shouldn't, as long as those lyrics are God-honoring and bringing us into the present, you know, pointing us toward Jesus, none of the rest of it should matter to us. And, and again, I understand. We have preferences. I have preferences. David and I talk about that on a regular basis. I don't really like that song, David. And, and he says, so what? Oh, no, it's not like that. But we talk about that. We talk about, and, and God, is, God is, I believe, you know, we, we work on those things. But the point is, it doesn't matter what those things are. It matters that when that, when that music starts, where is your heart. Can you, can you read those, no, not those words, but read the, the words of the lyrics of the song and worship God. Whether you're singing or not, you should sing, but whether, whether you understand, whether you know the, the, the tune or whatever, we should be able with pure heart to see God in that. It is one of the ways I think we, we have the, music is a very powerful tool for us to see God. But we have to let it, we have to let it happen. And we have to get beyond, you know, what David or, you know, whoever else is up here, what they're doing or not doing. And we have to be in that place where we just, all I, all I want is to see God right now. So many of the things in my life that are just clamoring for my attention, I, just for this brief moment, I want to see God. So I'm going to encourage you, as David's going to play, that you just, just do that. Let your heart be as pure as you possibly can. Don't think about what other people are doing, because I'm going to actually ask you other people to do some things here in a moment. We're going to pray in a moment. We're going to invite you to come up for prayer. Don't worry about that. Whatever, wherever you are spiritually, just worship God in this moment. One of the things the Beatitudes have been teaching us is you can't do these things on your own. It's just not possible. And, and sadly, too many believers are doing that. They're just trying, they're going through the motions, they're doing the rituals, they're doing the, the spiritual disciplines, but, but they're not letting God do the hard stuff. We want to pray with you. I'm going to invite the elders to come up, elders and their wives to come up. And, and we, want, we want to pray, it would be our privilege and honor to pray with you. We're not going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you. You know, maybe as you listen to a message like this, you say, well, you know, maybe my heart's not pure. Maybe there's something in there that doesn't belong there. Maybe I've been focused on the wrong things. Then you come up. Let us pray with you.
Or maybe, maybe you know your heart's been divided. You know something else is getting in the way. And maybe it's something that, you know, from a, from a human perspective might be a good thing. But God is not in it. Or he's not the main reason why we're doing it. Or maybe you just want to see God in whatever circumstances are going on in your life. Anybody want to see God more? Let us pray for you. Or you're here and you, you've, you're committing your life or recommitting your life to Christ. Come up, let us pray for you. God wants you to see him, right? Do you know that? God wants you to see him. And so our, this invitation is to come up and say, I want to see God too. I want to see God. Now, he might want to meet with you. Anybody think that God might want to meet with him? He might want to meet with you right now. So as David plays, come on up. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing for the rest of you. Worship. If you need to close your eyes to be able to do it, close your eyes and just worship God. The rest of you, come on up. Let us pray for you. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.